0: Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. Today's guest is Jane Hardy. She is the founder and CEO of the Blurt Foundation, which is a social enterprise dedicated to helping those affected by depression. I wanted to do an episode on self-care, the words self-care and what they kind of really mean. And I think Jane is a brilliant person to talk about the art of self-care when it comes to recovering from an illness. She lost most of her 20s to depression and at the height of her illness, she was unable to work, leave the house or even undertake some of the most basic acts of self-care. She says in her book, that she actually lost a tooth because she didn't feel worthy enough to even clean her teeth. She has written, spoken, and discussed her experiences of depression and self care in many ways, from doing a TED talk in Birmingham to talking on BBC Radio 2 and writing extensively about what she's been through. And now she's actually released her own book on the topic. It's called The Self Care Project. And we discussed that in this episode, and I really recommend you grab a copy if you're interested in learning more about how to look after yourself uh, mentally and physically and tips to spend more time changing habits, I suppose, as well. She won the Talk Talk Digital Hero Award in 2011 and in 2014 she was included in Marketing Magazine's list of top 10 digital mavericks. She actually led a viral campaign in 2016 called #WhatYouDon'tSee, What You Don't See, which raised awareness of mental health in a really brilliant way. So I hope you enjoy this episode. We talk a lot about self-care, the kind of backlash to the phrase self-care. We talk about how to help friends if they might be pushing you away or if you yourself are going through anything. We talk about the loneliness epidemic, how to be kinder to yourself and really how dismissing looking after yourself as just a fluffy trend or calling it self-indulgent can maybe be slightly missing the point. So I hope you enjoyed this episode, um, I really enjoyed talking to Jane, and grab a copy of her book, The Self-Care Project, and let me know what you think of this episode. I've wanted to do a whole episode about self-care for ages, and so when your book came out, The Self-Care Project, I just thought, you're the one, we need to talk about it. <laughs>
1: And I've listened to your podcast for a long time, so I'm delighted to be here. Oh, thank you. So you're the founder of the Blurt Foundation.
0: So could you talk a little bit about that? Because I feel like being the kind of founder of that plays into this
1: book quite a bit, doesn't it? It does. Um, And how that all came about. So I was diagnosed with um, clinical depression, severe clinical depression in 2004. Really, really struggled, kind of lost everything. It felt like apart from my boyfriend at the time is now my husband. Lost friends, lost touch with family members, actually. Lost my job. Really, really everything just kind of fell apart and hit rock bottom. And it went like that for a really long time. So I was 24, I think, at the time. And then for most of my 30s, it was like these little bits of highs, but big, big lows and suicidal feelings. I lost a friend um, in a... A horrific accident which you know, grief then mixed with the depression really really tough time and I, my family didn't know how to support him my boyfriend my husband now didn't know how to support me there wasn't really any he tried to look online for some information ended up in a like a forum where he he said that it just put him off completely because everyone was sort of like flirting with one another and he just wanted to go and understand how to support me not sort of be hit on or hit on someone Um, and he said it just felt like odd that there was nothing for him to read that was not really frightening for him Mm -hmm. and also there wasn't really anything for me to read that wasn't really frightening I'd go online and it would be sort of either only touch from mild depression or be really scary things to read that I didn't want to (laughs) you know it played into the dark thoughts a bit too much. So I started a beauty blog, my, actually I have to rewind a bit there, because my mum bought me a journal and she said, you've always written, when you were younger, you always had a pen in your hand, you always had a notebook in your hand, you've always written. She said, I haven't seen you do that for a really long time. And so I had this journal, I started writing it and it was really therapeutic, mm. I loved it. Then I started a beauty blog and the reason I started a beauty blog was because of self care, because at that point I'd like lost a tooth from not looking after myself and I was, I was a right old mess, I didn't want to see anyone, I was so ashamed of how I looked. Mm-hmm. I started a blog because I'm sort of a people... I am a people pleaser. I try not to be, but I am. And so I knew that if I was starting a blog, people would expect me to write about things. So that played into me using these products as self-care. And it really worked. It was like a trick in my head that worked with me looking after myself a bit better and then having content online. I love that because
0: the (laughs) intro of your book is just beautifully written. I mean, the whole thing is, but you're really drawn in by the intro because it's very sort of like, here's my story. And I don't know if you have felt this in the past, but people have been quite sort of dismissive of blogging. Like it's this like silly little thing that, and I just read that and I thought that is such an amazing reminder that something like having a blog is way more than just something that you're fluffy that you're doing in the evenings it can really help you
1: don't you think for most people the blog starts because they're either feeling not heard they have something they want to talk about i think they're quite therapeutic things for everyone that has one i think most people have them because it's an interest that even if it's just that it's an interest that they want to explore like you know interior design i think that it i don't know i think it opens your mind i think they're so i think they're really really healthy Mm. also you can
0: connect to people maybe during during times where you don't want to go outside and I know that you know we need to have face to face interaction but I got so much from building online connections I wouldn't
1: be here without it it I literally was my lifeline twitter was my lifeline back in you know back in the day mm-hmm. it was because I Was talking to people would be talking about depression, and I'd tentatively like join in their conversations, Mm. and then they would check in on me, and I would check in on them. And it was those connections where I could just be 100% myself, as low as that was, that kept me alive. And I find it really tough now because there is like an epidemic of loneliness and isolation. I really understand that. But the people who are using social media sometimes. They're already isolated and lonely and it is their window into the outside world. So for them, actually, sometimes it's healthy mm-hmm. that they are connecting with somebody. It's not ideal that then they don't have anybody perhaps outside of it. But it's usually a starting point is mm-hmm. how they can, you know, become a bit more socially confident. Mm-hmm. So I struggle with it because I know that social media is then sometimes replacing when we're well, like, you know, face-to-face interaction but I really struggle with the whole social just bad because yeah. for me I don't I genuinely don't think I'd be here without it. it was my lifeline and you really get that from from the book you understand that well lots of advice because I mean I've
0: I've never suffered with what you, what you went through but I have friends that have and I really want to learn more about it so that I can be a better friend and your husband sounds amazing I was just wondering because there must have been things that he did that were right and some things that he did that weren't so helpful, like. <laughs> What was helpful during that time?
1: So in the beginning, he wasn't very helpful because he didn't really believe in mental health. He was very much like, we knew each other, we went to school together and I was really bubbly at school and outgoing. He was really quiet. So he thought that when he got together, he had this whole guilt around when we got together, that he was the one that had like made me unwell, well. And it was really hard to teach him, like trying to explain to him that... It was not his fault in the slightest. It's a mental illness. I'm unwell, and there's probably a million reasons why that might be. So he had the guilt around that, which was really hard. And then I would try and push him away because I felt unworthy of him, which was really hard on him. Obviously, I would like trying to. I feel like I'm going to be rejecting. He's going to leave me anyway, so I'm rejecting him almost. Um, And he, he didn't really believe in mental health. So he was like trying to be a fixer, trying to fix me. Like maybe you're, you know, maybe we should do more of this, more of that. And I just had no energy and motivation. And it was really tough because obviously he was really well and energetic and I really wasn't. Mm -hmm. So we, end we ended up, that's why it's called the blurt foundation, like blurt it out. Because in the end, what I was like, there's all this stuff going on in my head. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm worried that if I tell you about it, you're going to run a mile because some of it's horrific he was like just blurt it out and make sense of it so that's where the the name came from because I would just blurt it out and you know he would be sit there and listen which is the thing that helped the most you know some of it was like wonky boundaries perhaps with other people and you know some of it was the fact that I was living on a diet of toast and he was like how can we help get some nutrients like listening was definitely the one thing Um, he kind of took over my life admin as much as he possibly could because obviously I had no desire to deal with any of that. I don't know, it's weird because we hadn't been together very long when I became ill. So he took on like a carer role quite mm. early and ended up moving in with me really, really early. Like really quickly to sort of try and look after me so yeah he has been brilliant he still struggles now sometimes if I get a little bit unwell because I have such long periods now being well when it happens I think it just brings about all that fear that I'm going to lose years like I had before and obviously we have a daughter now so I think he worries about Mm -hmm. how we're going to manage that when we set it up, it was very important to us that it was for anyone affected by depression. So it's not just the person who's unwell. It's for the people who support us because it has such a ripple effect. You know, I had friends, family. It affected a lot of people, me being unwell. And so we're really trying to sort of help you to understand what you can do to support somebody. Um, and I think learning about the illness is probably the top one. Read about it. Try, mm-hmm. You know, we have a lot of blogs where we talk about what it's actually like to be unwell. Yeah, there are words it's really, that are hard to articulate. It's really, really helpful because I think the thing, I guess with any illness is like,
0: uh, you know, you, you don't know how that broken leg feels. You don't know how no. that mental illness feels. Like you, you, We can't feel each other's pain like, in that way. No. We, can un- we can try and understand. And that's as much as we can do and, 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 ha- and, and handle it in the best possible way. And I think what you're doing is amazing. Obviously, your book is, is called The Self-Care Project. <laughs> so I just wanted
1: to ask, kind of, how do you define self-care? I think this is really hard to do because I think self-care is different for everybody and I think it evolves for us all as we evolve. You know, when I was very old, with depression, what kind of self-care then was sort of like getting through the day, trying to challenge the thoughts, not, you know, the suicidal thoughts, all of that. Whereas now self-care is different to me than it was then. But in the essence of it, it's heeding our psychological, physical, emotional needs, wants and dreams. Mm. and in but also keeping an eye that they might be different for the short term and the long term so it's trying to find a balance between the two and i wanted to ask just because i feel like the label of self-care oh
0: <laughs> like i know it's like the elephant in the room isn't it because i 100% i'm like i'm i love self-care and i even love the phrase self-care yeah. but you know with any sort of phrase people start to be like well it's it's a buzzword or whatever it's not just you run a bath and you're fine what how do you feel about that it's way way more than that isn't it
1: oh gosh it's really frustrating um because there's a lot of articles now like um sort of you know being really negative about self-care whereas self-care is kind of is is how we're healthy so it can't be a negative thing But yes, you're right. It's being used left, right and centre, bandied about, light a candle that counts (laughs) self-care with no thought to it, like no conscious thought to it. And I think that's the thing about self-care, if it's going to work for us, is we have to be very conscious of how we feel, how we want to feel and what we can do to get us to where we want to, how we want to feel gosh, yeah, I find it incredibly frustrating when people are like, just have a bubble bath. Well, you know, <laughs> we all enjoy a bubble bath, but, you know, I was tagged in something on Twitter this week from, somebody had written a really negative article. She said that she'd done self-care all weekend and she'd been really lazy and she'd let her partner walk the dog or, you know, do everything. And she'd done everything like lit candles and really, you know, done all of those things. And at the end of it, she felt really selfish and bad for him and everything. And, um... Somebody had read it and tagged it. And she said, I've got mental health problems and this is the worst article I could have read because now it's making me feel really selfish for self-care. And the the author of the article replied and said that it was just tongue-in-cheek article. But I think actually some of the negativity is quite damaging. I know that for me, it really helped me to, to get well, recover. And I know that for our audience at Blur that is, it, that's, you know, it's a term that they can buy into. They understand. That that's, that's the thing. It's like, I, I feel like it's actually a really good word just to group together what
0: we're talking about. Yeah. Otherwise... Without a label on it, it's hard to talk about it. I know, what
1: would you call it? Like, you care for others. Yeah. So why would you not care for yourself? I guess, yeah, exactly.
0: Because I interviewed um, Emily Reynolds last year, whose book came out, A Beginner's Guide to Losing Your Mind, and it's about um, her um, managing her bipolar disorder. And she was saying that, you know, self-care can be as small as getting out of dirty pyjamas and putting on a fresh pair of pyjamas. To someone else, they might think, oh, that's a bit you know, that's that's just buying yourself some new pyjamas. But it's like, no, it's 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 actually <laughs> it's, quite, quite a lot more than that because what she's saying is she could have enough self-worth to get out of bed, change her pyjamas. When someone's in
1: that mindset, I'm sure that's quite a big deal. It's a huge deal. So for about a year, I walked around these slippers that, like, my toes were poking out of every hole. You know, there's holes coming out of them. My feet were cold. They had more holes than the cheese grater. They, they were ridiculous. And I never, ever like if my mum or my daughter or my husband or my friends had a pair of slippers on that I would have gone and bought them a pair <laughs> I would never like if they'd have one hole not you know 50 buying myself it <laughs> it does I laugh because it does sound I can understand to, if you're well how ridiculous it could sound buying myself a new pair of slippers was such a massive massive deal for me and then obviously they arrived and I felt brilliant and it was great checking the old ones out but to get to that point took me a really 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 long time and even getting dressed out of your pyjamas, or getting some new pyjamas, or even brushing my teeth. Brushing your teeth comes out of a sense of caring about the outcome of the action. If I don't brush my teeth, I'm going to lose my teeth, and I could have just gums there. But if you're really unwell, you don't actually care about that, because Mm. you don't care enough that that's the future that you're going to lose your teeth. You'd struggle to get through a day. Mm. So for me, brushing my teeth when I was unwell was a huge act of self-care. It was huge. So yeah, I think that the importance of the word and the concept is being diluted and that's quite scary because it's such an important concept and we could all learn something from it. Mm. All of us have something that's tricky in our lives that could do with us taking stock of that and applying self-care to it, even you know, even if we're considered healthy and well. It's so true and I feel like talking to you about this, it, it really does sort of
0: highlight the importance because I think the problem is is when self-care is used maybe by people who maybe working for a brand and they're like, oh, let's launch a new range of self-care candles. And it's like, that's when I think it's being misused. Because I think when you
1: talk about it, it's coming from like a real place of actually, you really need to take care of yourself during that time. We all do. And actually, my three-year-old is better at self-care than I am. So if she wants a nap, she says, I'm going to go to bed. (laughs) She takes herself (laughs) off. She doesn't care about what we think of that she just does it you know we she's brilliant at self care we went to a kid a party the other day and it was she's quite intro, she seems like she's quite introverted we went to this party it was a loud part. It was the <laughs> frozen theme. Um, and she just took herself off and lied under some chairs in the back. And I mean, we'd never do that as adults, would we? Be, because we wouldn't want to disappoint or like, you know, yeah. the expectation us. I love it. I find it so liberating. Nobody cares that she did that. Nobody thinks she was rude. And she just took herself off and did what she needed. And I think I that is that. self care. That's the, it's, 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 if you're, you know, it's, it's always listening to how you feel. And if you feel grotty, you feel rubbish, you feel a bit low, you feel exhausted or whatever, you do the actions that help that make you feel better. It's do you find it's a
0: tricky one with like what will make you feel better sometimes you feel like you're disappointing others? For oh. me, for example, I um, self care for me would be like saying no to going to the party and like going for a walk instead of listening to podcasts on my own but a part of me even though it makes me feel
1: good I'm like oh I've maybe let down someone this weekend that that's my hurdle that's my hurdle I always I'm, I'm quite introverted and you know I've got a family and so it's quite hard to find those pockets of time that I to have the time on my own in silence where I just need to recharge because that is what recharges me sometimes just going out lying in the bed with a book and just having even like 30 minutes mm. You lose yourself, don't you? In yeah. fiction or non-fiction, I love both. And you um, can't go on Twitter and read at the same time. No. Like, you have to be in the book. Yeah, I love it. And I can't actually go to sleep at night without reading. I have to read. It's um, I can't. I just can't switch off. Yeah, so I think that when you say no, it gets easier. And you realise that people are still okay with you for, like, you know, taking that time. And for your self. real friends
0: would understand. I think yeah. that's the difference, isn't it? Of course. I know you said earlier that you kind of, you did lose connection with people during that time friends and things like that. Did you rekindle
1: that or or was it just one of those moments where you thought, at this point we it's not gonna work out? It's a really weird thing. So when I was really unwell, I felt like I wasn't worthy of these great people in my life. Like I just so it was and I didn't want to hurt them because you do see the pain that you're causing other people in their eyes and their worry on their face. And that's a really hard thing to know that you're causing their worry and pain when you're full of worry and pain. So it just felt sort of like it's awful it felt so it just felt easier to sort of just you know, deny invitations. So the more you deny them, the less often they come. Also, I wasn't completely, I wasn't really that open and honest about the fact I had depression back then. I was really ashamed um, of it. I didn't, as far as I was aware, I didn't know anyone else that was unwell. And um, apart from my sister actually, but that was contained within our house. Um, so I didn't know anyone else that was unwell. Um, so it felt like easier. It felt like it was, I was doing them a favor in lots of ways. So I wouldn't burden them, they wouldn't have to worry about me, they wouldn't have to have the pain. It didn't really occur to me till I started feeling better that actually I'd really hurt them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really hard. I wrote a blog post about it, action. It's a dear friend, is it still okay to call you that? Because I'd, you know, really pushed them all away it's taken my my confidence um is really low still with those friendships i'm i've lit i haven't had really kindled any of them apart from one and another one coming up so i've literally like, a couple of weekends ago met up with um some really great friends who were great friends back then who i'd you know and um, withdrawn from and it's brilliant it was just like all the years had vanished and we all got, you know it was it, it was honestly amazing and i have really bad social anxiety now because i'm sort of out of the habit of mm. connecting with people but no, it was brilliant. And I'm meeting up with two more friends um, next weekend. And I'm really, really nervous because I'm aware that I've, I'm like post-depression, James, not the same at all, probably, the, you know, before I was unwell. Um, but I'm aware they've probably changed too. Yeah. <laughs> of course they have. And, you know, so that helps that, to reassure me that it will be OK. Definitely.
0: I really, I really understand that because I think asking for help is hard even when you're well. So I can't even imagine how hard it must be to ask for help when you're feeling like that.
1: I think asking for help is the hardest thing because we we know that everyone's busy and everyone has their own, everybody has stuff that they're struggling with in life. I think I think even the people even the people that say they don't do mm-hmm. everybody does have something a thorn in their side. And you're aware of that so you don't want to add to their problems by being a problem but actually i think the important thing to remember is if you don't ask for help when you need it it's going to escalate at some point and they're going, you're going to need more of the help later on down the line mm. than you would at the beginning you know um i think that's what i've learned as i've got, as i've got older is that if i ask for help early and we can sort mm. this out early then i need less of the help yeah, <laughs> than yeah, i do yeah. you know and i like giving so it always frustrates me when i feel like i'm taking mm. but then. I feel like actually, it's weird how much we
0: think people don't want to help, but helping other people does feel good. It's amazing. People like helping other people. Yeah. We forget that maybe sometimes. But yeah,
1: we actually. I, yeah, that's a really, really good point. Like, I love helping people. I really love it. It's friendship, yeah, isn't it? It yeah. works both ways. And I've actually, that's the thing I think we forget. Like, it, so when you know we need help, we don't ask for it because we feel bad about asking. But we'd hate to think that our friend or loved one was feeling that way that they couldn't reach out and ask us for help mm-hmm. so I think the thought of asking for help is worse than doing it mm-hmm. as most things yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> also I think that the worst phrase that we sometimes use is let me know if there's anything to do to help and I think that lets us off the hook mm-hmm. because if the person's struggling to ask for help then that's they're not they're not going to ask for help it's offering to do something specific I think. Right. I think so. You know, I have saw someone said, someone on Instagram said that her friend came over and just changed her bed for her. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, that's perfect. Your friend just came over and did something you needed doing, didn't offer, didn't, re-. she said, I'm going to go and change your bed for you. Are you, are you going to be all right with that? I really, I'm all right with that. I mm-hmm. just want to make sure I'm not intru- being intrusive. But I'm going to go and do that for you. And I thought, oh, that's brilliant because you're kind of not, you're not like overpowering that person. You give them a chance to say, no, that is intrusive. But you'll, you'll just. <laughs> you just wake up and your friend's like <laughs> standing over you. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, make Let sure yourself that you in. ask. <laughs> but, you know, I think something specific, even so, like I think that, you know, people who are, re- are going through a tough time struggle to eat and drink. Like, you know, make them some casserole for their freezer that they can reheat so they have a nutritious meal but it takes them no you know hardly any time to to put that together i think don't say let me know if there's anything help because i think that kind we all know we've all said that and we've all known that person not to ever ask and it's almost like a phrase that doesn't really mean anything anymore and you know when you say it it's kind of
0: feels empty when you say it i think i found uh sometimes when i when i would text a friend and say like you don't need to reply to this, but that's brilliant. And then sometimes I would get more replies because it was almost like I wasn't asking them for
1: anything. You're taking the pressure off them, and I think you should you feel it's a weird thing, isn't it? When you're going through a tough time, I think you, um, it's particularly mental health, you put so much pressure on yourself to try and meet your peers, um, and then you you know the slightest thing can feel like pressure when it isn't. I think don't feel the need to reply is is a brilliant way to sort of mm. to. Then you're also you're saying you're not expecting a reply then either, so it's kind of it lets you both off the hook from the anxiety yeah. of whether someone's replying or not replying, or not anxiety but worry. Um, so I think that that's such a good thing to do, and doing something specific really helps. You know, is there anything you know? Do you want me to get? Is there, you know, if you've got a prescription, you need me to get up. Are there any phone calls that you need me to make? Because you know, if you're struggling to use the phone because you're anxious about that, just think, I've always found it when someone does something specific mm. um, that's really helped me because I wouldn't ask for help. I mean, I would, but I, when people sit to me and let me know, I just think, I don't know if they mean it. Mm.
0: And then it's... you've got to rack your brains of what you actually want them to do. And you can't make It makes so much sense when you say it.
1: Yeah, I think that there's always something, you know, if you see that they're... Like if you see, like I know that um there's a, there's something that went viral, a lady had her hair, she hadn't brushed her hair for ages, she had depression and it had gone really matted, it was really matted, it was, you know, really bad um, and she went to hairdresser and the hairdresser spent hours with her brushing out her hair and I think if you've got a friend that's like that then you could help them with their hair, you know, yeah. and it's not, uh, don't let it all be the elephant in the room as well, I think sometimes we don't want to upset people by talking about it but actually by ignoring the situation mm-hmm. it's worse, yeah no i i really really love your book for
0: that reason because it it's really given like a true meaning of self care because of course when you're going through depression you're gonna not look after yourself physically like I, and i
1: didn't even think about that absolutely I, and actually one of the blog posts we wrote was it's not uh, for blur. was it's not all in your head um physical symptoms of depression because there are physical symptoms you know it does affect your appetite you do struggle to sleep um there are lots of ways it does affect you physically and they're the things perhaps that you can help your friend with like they're the things. so if you know your friend's struggling to sleep can you I don't know, like, can you look up, sleep, things that help? And then, you know, I know that someone um, bought me a sleep spray and it was just the thought of it. Like they were trying to help me with something that was part of my depression, but not all of it. And it just was love. it was really meaningful It's a sleep spray, you know, it it, it was really, it meant lots to me, i probably cried. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I think just listen and then there's always practical things that you can do. And yeah, I think that self care the way that we're talking about it as a whole at the moment. We need to bring it back. We need to remember what it means. um, yeah, yeah, And also understand that in being so negative about it, and I'm not saying this because I've just written a book, I'd have said it even if I hadn't written a book, because self-care is a much friendlier term than recovery. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So if you're like, I've got to up my self-care ante, or I've got to do a bit more self-care, it sounds a bit more, it's less, I don't know, less perhaps stigmatising, I'm not sure. So I think it's less harsh, isn't it? Because that sounds quite clinical. Yeah, Yeah, it does. And I think that when we're being so negative about the concept, we're actually probably denting the self-esteem and confidence of those who've already got dented self-esteem and confidence. I think it's quite damaging. I did one of the first radio interviews I did about this book. The presenter, was clear, he was clearly not buying into the concept of self-care, and it was quite a hard interview. Mm. Um, and I said to him, I said to him, it's about being conscious of your actions, how they're gonna make you feel. And actually in the end, he came around. He was like, actually, I've got a seven hour flight, and instead of sitting down going for my emails, I'm gonna take a good book and I'm gonna take those emails off my phone. And I was like, That's self-care. So you do like you do have something. Sounds in your like life. he had a problem with the term, not I don't know not if he... like the actual act of it. I don't know if he had a problem with the term or whether he just didn't think it applied to him. Right. I think he thought that he had, you know, ducks in a row, he was all sorted. But he admitted that it caused him stress when he's on a flight just dealing with work Mm -hmm. and that he would rather do that and that would make him feel better. And I was like, that's, like, everyone. Like, every one of us has got a habit that annoys us or we'd rather not have that makes us feel grotty, that we, you know, but we're not mindful, almost, of how it makes us feel Mm -hmm. enough to change it. And I loved it because at the end he was like... I'm going to do that. Yeah, really I've, learned so mu- I've learned so much from your book and just
0: conversations about it. Like even the idea of um, the way that you talk to yourself being self-care. So like the other day I was being really horrible, like harsh on myself about something that I thought was rubbish. And I was like, and I, and I just tried it. I was like, no, I'm going to talk to myself in my own head. Like I'm friends with me. and I felt amazing afterwards. Well done. Because I was like, <laughs> I've I got
1: myself out of the rut just yeah. by myself yeah it's amazing and it's it's about being mindful of those the way the way you talk to yourself um I I never used to be mindful of it and when I became mindful I was horrified like I think I think I mentioned in the book about like nothing can bloom in a toxic environment because that is a toxic environment if you're abusing and bullying yourself then that's you wouldn't you know hopefully you wouldn't put up with that from anyone else so why should you do that to yourself yeah. and i think that if you can change the things you tell yourself, i give yourself a break like we don't we're not supposed to know everything mm-hmm. we will stumble and we'll fall and we'll make mistakes but that usually well pretty much sort out of all we can sort them out
0: oh so lastly i just wanted to ask
1: you what are you looking forward to this year more more conversations about this lots Um, so book two we're having a conversation about book two at the moment which is like ridiculously I didn't even think I'd ever have a book one (laughs) so that's amazing um we we're going to so depression awareness week was um cancelled when depression alliance taken over by mind charity so we're bringing that back this year and we're focusing on isolation and loneliness um as the th- topic because it's something that lots of people speak to struggle with. There's been a lot of research about that recently yeah.
0: hasn't there? Is it the Joe Cox Foundation? Yeah that's as well right. Yeah that's
1: have right. um, brought out crazy statistics about, about loneliness. It's really frightening and they've just and also the government have appointed a, a minister of loneliness now too right. because it's such an epidemic and right. it actually loneliness is more unhealthy for us than lots of things lots of things that we associate with being unhealthy like smoking and um, actually loneliness is tougher on your phys, you know your physically and your, your mentally yeah. um, so we're going to be we're going to be that's the theme for that and we've got some really fun things um, lined up for that um, what else am I looking forward to? just taking my annual leave <laughs> <laughs> very important i don't I, I. i i didn't i haven't for years and then last year i got better as it as, as i was writing the book i was like oh i need to practice what i preach so <laughs> this year i've booked it all out already and i'm gonna take it so that would be, be lovely I don't know. Everything just feels quite positive for me at the moment. I just and I'm really mindful that I just need to keep on looking after myself so that, that that continues.
0: It's really inspiring. You've you've opened your heart out in the book and you've given really practical advice. Thank, thank you. you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs>